the the rock group The Birds recorded a song many years ago entitled Turn, Turn, Turn. Some of you may remember it. By the way, if you do remember it, that means you're really old. (laughs) Like me, because it was released back in 1965. Went to number one on the Billboard chart that year which was somewhat of a surprise given the fact that the song is based on a passage from the Bible. Book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. The passage reads as follows. Many of you have heard this before, I'm sure. There is an appointed time for everything, and a time for every affair under the heavens, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot the plant, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to be far from embraces, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, time of war and a time of peace. Now I wanted to use the bird's musical rendition of that passage to begin my homily today, but I discovered that I couldn't. I couldn't do it because the line from Ecclesiastes 3 that I wanted to focus on in my homily was left out of the song. The song begins with these words. Don't worry, I won't sing them. I'll spare you the penance. (laughs) To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Turn, turn, turn. And a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant and a time to reap. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to laugh, a time to weep. And on and on it goes through all the different times Ecclesiastes mentions in the Bible passage, except these two, a time to be silent and a time to speak. That line was left out of the lyrics. Why? I don't know. (laughs) Wish I could tell you. Perhaps it was for the very practical reason that it would have disrupted the rhythm of the song. One line had to be left out for the song to flow properly, and perhaps it was that one that was chosen at random. But regardless of what the reason was, I find meaning in the fact that it happened, that the line was eliminated. To me, it's a sign of something. It's a sign of a spiritual problem we have in our modern world right now. We've had it at least since 1965 when this song came out. We have forgotten the value. We have forgotten the importance we have forgotten the necessity of silence. I think that's one reason why Eucharistic adoration has become so popular. People find refuge there from the insanity of their daily lives, the noise of it all. Let's face it, we do live in a world right now of constant noise and almost endless chatter. For many people, the time to talk is almost all the time, which leaves very little left for silence. And social media has only aggravated the problem. 
If certain people are not texting or emailing or tweeting or talking on the phone or surfing the internet or listening to their iPod or watching TV or a movie, then they're probably sleeping. Perhaps the best modern examples of how little we value silence today are the cable news channels, 24 hours, all talk, all the time, and usually it's very loud. Consequently, very little dialogue takes place, very little listening takes place on these shows, on these networks, because the hosts and guests are usually too busy screaming at each other and saying things they will later regret, or at least should regret. Talk is sometimes necessary, of course, but at other times, my brothers and sisters, silence is just as necessary. One person who learned this lesson, unfortunately, in a very painful way, was Simon Peter. We see evidence of that in today's Gospel story from Mark chapter 8. As we heard a few moments ago, Jesus was going one day to Caesarea Philippi in northern Israel with his disciples. And he decided to ask his twelve close friends what you might call the bottom line question. The question from Jesus that every human person must eventually answer. Who do you say that I am? Gentlemen, you've just told me who everybody else says that I am. John the Baptist and everybody else. You just told me what the current polling data is concerning me and my identity. But what about you? Where do you stand on the issue? If someone said to you, who is Jesus of Nazareth, how would you respond? As we heard a few moments ago, Peter immediately gives the answer that every Christian echoes in his or her heart. You are the Christ. In other words, you are the Messiah. You are the Anointed One of God. You are the one our people have been awaiting for centuries. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there is a time to speak. And for Simon Peter, this was one of those times. He couldn't have done it any better. He couldn't have said it any more clearly. If only he had left it there. But he didn't. Jesus then begins to tell Peter and the other apostles what kind of Messiah he will be, which is not the kind of Messiah that they or the Jews of the time expected. The Jews of the day thought that their Messiah would be a great earthly king, like King David, who would bring back the glory days of Israel by restoring the nation to its former greatness. They thought the Messiah came or was coming to establish an earthly kingdom for one small country. But Jesus indicates to them here that he's come not just to save Israel, he's come to save the whole world by offering his life as a sacrifice for sin, for all sin, any sin, every sin. Now Peter didn't understand that, which was completely understandable given the common Jewish expectation of the time. But instead of remaining silent, and thinking about it for a while. Or taking Jesus aside and saying to him, Lord, I just don't get it. I don't understand this. Please help me. Instead of doing those things, Peter decides to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. No way, Jesus. That can't happen to you. You're the Messiah. You're the son of David. You're going to rise to power. You're going to assume your throne. You're going to get rid of the Romans who are oppressing us. You're going to make us the number one nation in the world again. Jesus then turns on Peter, the man he would soon make the leader of his church. And he says to him, get behind me, Satan. 
Why Satan? Because at that moment, without realizing it, Peter was saying to Jesus exactly what Satan would have wanted him to say. Satan knew that without the cross, there would be no resurrection, and consequently, no salvation for the human race. He knew that without the death of Jesus on the cross, we could not be forgiven for our sins. He knew that without the death of Jesus on the cross, we couldn't be reconciled to God the Father. So he used the words of Peter at Caesarea Philippi to try to tempt Jesus to give up his mission, his mission of dying on the cross to save the world, which, by the way, is also what he tried to do at the very beginning of our Lord's ministry with those three temptations in the desert. Those temptations were all attempts to get Jesus to avoid the cross, to throw in the towel. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there is a time to be silent. And for Peter, this was definitely one of those times. But he wasn't silent. I can just imagine him walking away from Jesus that day saying to himself, Peter, why, oh why, didn't you keep your mouth shut? Why did you feel you had to say that stuff to Jesus? Well, the good news is, by the time the Gospel of Mark was written, Peter had learned the lesson. He had learned the lesson about the importance of silence. And he was putting that lesson into practice. This is something we also see in this story. Did you notice that something was missing from Mark's account of this event? In Mark, we have Peter proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah, followed immediately by our Lord's prediction of his passion. In Matthew's version of the same story, after Peter proclaims Jesus to be the Messiah, our Lord says to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my heavenly Father. So I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's very interesting. The part of the story in which Peter is extolled for his God-inspired insight, the part of the story where he's given universal authority in the church and made, in effect, the very first pope, that section of the story, which makes Peter look really, really good, is completely eliminated from Mark's account. Mark is totally silent about it, which probably means that Peter himself was silent about it. As those of you know who took our Bible study class last year, many scripture scholars are convinced that St. Mark was actually St. Peter's scribe his secretary, which means that the gospel that bears Mark's name is actually the gospel that St. Peter preached when he was in Rome just before his death. He either dictated it directly to Mark or he had Mark follow him around and take notes while he preached. So apparently, this is the way Peter told the story, or at least it's the way that he wanted the story to be told. Now you might say, but Father Ray, that makes no sense. Why would Peter be silent about that particular part of the story, the part that makes him look really, really good? To which I would respond, 
That's precisely the reason he left it out. You see, at that point of his life, Peter was very holy. He was a man of deep, profound humility, who wanted the focus to always be on Jesus and not on him. So in all likelihood, he either didn't mention that part of the story when he preached about the event, consequently Mark never wrote it down in the first place, or Mark did write it down initially when he took notes, but Peter had him remove it from the final version of the text. It was an event that God wanted Peter to be silent about. And he knew it. No tweets, no emails, no Facebook posts. It was St. Matthew's call to share that other part of the story with the rest of the world. And he did in chapter 16 of his Gospel. Today we should pray at this Mass to be like Peter in his later years. The Peter who had learned, sometimes painfully, the lesson of Ecclesiastes 3 about speaking at the right time and being silent at the right time. In fact, I'll give you a short prayer that you can say every day for that intention, and I'll end my homily with this prayer. Very simple. Lord, give me the grace to speak when you want me to speak. And give me the grace to be silent when you want me to be silent. And please, Lord, give me the wisdom to know the difference.